2: And on today's show, we're talking personal finance. More specifically, we're talking about the uniqueness of being a woman working in tech and the need for financial planning and fintech solutions that cater specifically to this group. So that's what we'll be talking about today. My guest, Danica Waddell, is the founder and CEO of Xena Financial Planning, a financial planning firm catering specifically to women who work in tech in their early to mid-career who actually want to make a difference in the world around them. Prior to becoming a financial planner and then ultimately launching Xena, Danika worked in corporate accounting. She also spent some time working for a couple of tech startups in various non-technical roles. So she's lived the life she now coaches and advises her clients through on a daily basis. So with that brief introduction, welcome Danika Waddell to the Tech Money Podcast.
3: Hi, Malcolm. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate you uh, agreeing to come on and do this. And so I I breezed through your resume Pretty quickly in my intro there, what else should I have included?
3: Oh, gosh. Well, that was um, definitely the professional side. So Mm -hmm. I think you actually covered the bases pretty well. On the personal side, I live in Seattle. I've got a lovely family with a couple of kiddos and lots of animals, and we do our best to stay outside as much as possible. So that's a little bit on the personal side
2: stay outside as much as possible because you guys are West coasters and that's what West coasters do because you have nice weather. Is that, you know, is that the brag that I'm getting through, uh, through this here?
3: Uh, I don't know if I would say we have nice weather, but yes, we do try to spend as much time hiking slash skiing slash, you know, doing all the the active things that we like to do. So, yeah, that's, that's a very big part of the lifestyle in the Pacific Northwest.
2: I dig it. Don't and don't mind me by the way. Part of that is just my jealousy of being a person mm-hmm. who lives in DC where we get probably eight good weather weeks a year. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the whole outdoorsiness of West Coasters is like a, a life that I wish that we had here and I didn't have to move or travel to to get to. Understood. But- So I I went through, you know, really quickly, like you said, your professional bio in my description. And one of the things that I mentioned was the fact that you didn't necessarily start out in this business or didn't necessarily start out your career coming out of college, knowing that this is what you wanted to be doing for a living. But I understand that the reason you even got into this work is because you're a math person, which means that you were the person in your family that people were always, you know, turning to for financial advice, period. Mm -hmm. Is that is that accurate to say?
3: Yeah, it is. It's interesting that you say it that way because I my first thought was that I'm not really sure that the reason people sought me out and asked me questions about their finances had anything to do with me being a math person. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was a part of it. But also I think just the role that I play in my family was very much one of providing advice to to younger people. I'm the oldest daughter in my family. So I mm. think that was just a natural part of just sort of the hierarchy, I guess, of Mm -hmm. the family. But I do think, um, you know, it took me a while to decide that this was the industry that I wanted to get into. And part of that was a function of, you know, I had a degree in math, Mm -hmm. didn't really know how I wanted to use it. And so I landed in a couple of early roles. You know, I tried teaching, I ended up doing some accounting for many years. But what I realized over time was that there wasn't much human interaction in the accounting roles that I was doing. It was very uh, spreadsheet-based, and there wasn't a lot of the personal interactions that I, I really missed. Mm-hmm. So I think that's ultimately what led me to this as a career was sort of the, the marriage of the math and the numbers side of things. With the more interpersonal side, and I think you know, my family really encouraged that. Um, just through my experiences of providing that advice, it gave me the confidence of, yeah, I I think I could could guide people through these challenges, these questions that they ask about, say, how much to save or whatever. It just seemed to be a really perfect integration of some of those skills that I had.
2: What's interesting about the financial planning industry specifically is how few people i meet who say that they came into the business intentionally right mm-hmm. like there's there's so many people who took some circuitous route myself included that mm-hmm. ultimately you landed here and it was a happy accident but it right. wasn't what you came out of high school or college knowing full full well mm-hmm. like this is what i'm going to go mm-hmm. do with my math degree or finance degree or accounting degree or whatever. So I do hope, you know, this is a bit of a diversion, but I do hope that we'll ultimately end up with a world where more younger people learn the importance of financial literacy. Yes, but then also financial planning and decide to go in that direction, take their talents in that direction, too, um, Mm -hmm. and don't necessarily end up in the profession on accident so much.
3: Yeah, it's actually a passion of mine to be honest. Um I'm in a a board role on the NAPFA West Region. I'm actually just rolling off of that role, but I've been in the role of academic outreach for the last mm-hmm. 2 years and that is exactly what we're doing because so many young people either don't know what this career is, they don't know it exists or there's huge misunderstandings about what we actually do. So I think there's a huge opportunity for us as an industry to get in front of young people, educate them about what it is that we do and what an amazing career this is. And I think we'll really see an explosion of young people being more intentional about getting into this as a profession. So, yeah, it's a real passion of mine to just get the word out Mm -hmm. about the the existence of this profession, because I just don't think it's on a lot of young people's radar.
2: Yeah. Well, so bringing it back a second, but on a related note, like that explains sort of how you got interested in the profession in general. But I mentioned in my intro that your your specialization or, or the focus of your firm is working with folks who work in tech. And I believe I've heard you say in the past that the reason you chose to get involved with tech workers specifically is that you were married to an Amazonian at the time, right? And since you were mm-hmm. the one in your house who was managing the finances, you had to learn the ins and outs of the the comp structure of of Amazonians, yes, but then tech workers mm-hmm. more, more broadly. Do I have that right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's just such a huge number of people in our part of the world that are dealing with these very common things that mm-hmm. tech people go through. And I can recall in the early days of being with my husband and getting to understand what restricted stock units were and how all these things worked, just being almost overwhelmed with mm-hmm. the idea that how many people, in, just in Seattle, let alone the Bay Area and other tech hubs, how many people were dealing with these things without a lot of guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's actually very different now than it was, say, 15 years ago when I was first learning about these things. But um, there's still not a lot of guidance about how to manage these things. And I do find that most of my clients, most of the people that I interact with in tech are incredibly savvy. They're incredibly well-educated, but that isn't the same thing as knowing how to manage a thing in your particular situation. So you can go to Google and find all this information out, but that still doesn't really factor in anything to do with your personal situation. So I do find that there's still just a tremendous need in the tech industry for that sort of customized guidance. Because again, it's not that the people aren't smart. Obviously, most mm-hmm. of these individuals really know their stuff, but they just don't know how to apply it to their situation.
2: And also busy is I don't know what, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, its own uh, issue. It's just that, Absolutely. like, you know, uh, and we'll get into this in a second, but like tech people are are usually Geared toward productivity, and how can I squeeze out, you Mm -hmm. know, an nth more Mm -hmm. production or productivity out of every minute and hour of the day? And that Mm -hmm. doesn't usually leave a ton of time for managing, you know, the household budget or managing assets and those sorts of things. They tend to get put on the back burner until like it's about to explode and you don't have any choice but to address the thing. Um, sure. but I'm also generalizing here. There are people who are just as anal retentive about their money as I am that do not work in finance that, you know, are, are, mm-hmm. are elsewhere. But, uh, I like that you put it in context of the fact that like you could go to Google and, and you end up with, you know, a ton of different answers and, and that sort of thing. And the reason I, I felt fo- my brain focused there when you said it is because ironically, in one of our production meetings, my producer Eric and I landed on this thing where I said, I recognize that the purpose of this show is to teach people things that are not easily Googleable. Mm-hmm. Where I didn't necessarily have the words to, you know, articulate that before we got into the conversation that led us there. But that's kind of what I I hear you talking about too, is like, yes, you could go to Google and you're likely to end up with God knows what is the the answer that hopefully takes you in the right direction. Mm Kind of like going to WebMD to figure out why your finger itches and then all of a sudden you're in in urgent care, you know, explaining to them that you have sarcoidosis. Like, it's it's similar to that. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. who knows what you end up with. But anyway, like. Bringing it back to the to the, the the conversation at hand, I'm thinking about the fact that, like, as we're drilling down to what got you ultimately here, because to your point, you've had a little bit of a circuitous route to getting to this point. But you launched the firm initially. You know, I want to focus on tech people because these are my people. I understand mm-hmm. them. I know them. I live with one. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you when you launched your firm, you decided to work with women specifically. So Mm -hmm. my question is, and this is a bit of a loaded question, but why do women need a special place to talk about money, right? Like, what's different about Mm -hmm. the advice they would get from, you know, that caricature image of a financial advisor who's Mm -hmm. a cigar-smoking 60-year-old white dude with a pinstripe suit on and Mm -hmm. shiny wingtips, you know, sitting in a corner office at a mahogany desk in a skyscraper in Manhattan, right? Like. Mm I can see that guy. Cause I've worked with that guy. Right. Why can't she just work with him like the rest of us?
3: Yeah. Oh, Malcolm, I could talk about that all day.
2: Yeah. I set you one up a the, little bit with that one.
3: I know you did. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> one of the things that I think is really critical for us to understand as an industry Is, you know, we really are structured in a way that is designed to be intimidating. Hmm. So you're talking about the mahogany desk and the pinstripe suit that is designed to intimidate. It's designed to show people I know a whole bunch. I'm super successful. Listen to what I tell you and don't ask questions. You know, it's really designed in a very kind of paternalistic way. And I just don't think that that's particularly. Valuable for most clients or successful for most clients. So, from my experience and the clients that I work with, they do find that structure very intimidating. They feel a lot of shame or guilt around, you know, maybe I I have a bunch of cash and I don't know what to do with it. And I'm Mm -hmm. worried that this financial advisor is going to get on my case for not investing sooner, or they're going to criticize my spending habits, or they're going to get on my case because I have too much debt. And I do actually hear this from from men and women all the time that they interview an advisor and the advisor shames them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just have a real, I have a very hard time with that dynamic. I don't think that that serves anyone well, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. But my intention really is to create a space that people who have not felt welcomed by the industry do feel welcomed. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is a, a place where I feel I can show up. I can ask the question that I might think is stupid, but I don't know where else to ask it, or I can share that I have you know, a credit card balance that maybe I'm a little bit embarrassed about, but I know you're not going to judge me for it. I just think it's so important to create an environment where the client feels valued and respected for whoever they are. And in my particular case, I decided to really focus on women. I think another reason that really resonates for me is that women in tech and women in finance have a lot of the same challenges, Mm, right? So I really understand, again, how women in tech feel. It's not identical, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of the percentage of women that are represented in the industry or the pay gap or all of these different things that we're all facing. I really think there's a lot of Overlap between the finance and the tech worlds. So, those are a couple of the reasons. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Malcolm, I could talk about why women in tech or women in general need a special place and why their unique challenges are different. It's really about creating an environment that we are allowing the client to show up as their whole self.
2: Yeah. I, and I started it by saying that was a loaded question just intentionally because I, I, as a person who has been the other or the only in the room, uh, a lot of my professional career know exactly why people need spaces that are Mm -hmm. specifically catering to their needs when it comes to stuff like this, right? Like it'd be the equivalent of somebody saying what actually this has been said multiple times, but it'd be the equivalent of someone saying to me, a black man, why does a black man need a special place to go to talk about money? Why Mm -hmm. can't he work with the dude in the corner with the mahogany desk with his with his wingtips up mm-hmm. right like it'd be the same question but mm-hmm. i asked that mm-hmm. just as a way to kind of get more into what it is that we're ultimately going to be discussing but you mentioned something else that i want to go back and address really quickly first because it it threw my antenna up it's something that i find interesting when you were talking about like a, a woman client having a pile of cash. I don't mean literally mm-hmm. a pile of cash in her basement, but like a significant cash balance at her bank. And mm-hmm. you looking at that and going, there's something happening here. Let me find out from her why this is building up this way, instead of saying you should be doing something different with that money. And something mm-hmm. I find interesting that's you know somewhat related is that younger women tend to be better about saving money than younger men. And I'm talking about women and men in their mid to late 20s, by the way, like not, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know we all like to think we're still young, but I keep learning every day that at the ripe old age of 34, when people say young people, they are, in fact, not talking about me. So <laughs> anyway, y- like young women save money better, uh, in my opinion, my professional opinion. I just see it so frequently where they have a significant amount of cash just built up buy at point in their in their careers but men in general of all ages are more willing to invest which means their money grows faster even if they're not saving as much of it yet i see the stats from places like you know an Elevest that caters to women investors and wherever else that tell me statistically women are better at being patient in a bad market and not reacting emotionally which we also know tends to erode somebody's Uh returns and ultimately takes away from their long-term savings. And so in other words, like they're better at staying invested rather than trying to time the market. So it's curious about this to me, you know, after all that long wind up, my question to you is like, why aren't women willing to invest that money in their twenties, that cash pile that we're talking about that sits in their bank account since doing so would mean they're financially able to do so much more by the time they reach their peak earning years in their mid to late forties, like they'd presumably be in better financial position than their male counterparts at that point.
3: Hmm. Yeah, it's there's a lot going on in that question, Malcolm. I think there's so many different factors that are at play here.
2: Yeah, I know. But I also just fun. asked you to speak for all of womankind there, so I apologize, but yeah. I just I figured this is probably a conversation you've had at least twice in your personal group chat. So you know, given what you do and the clients you work with.
3: For sure. No, I appreciate that caveat because it's it's important to remember that women are not all the same and we're not a monolith. But that being said, I think one thing that, that leaps out at me in my work is that my women clients aren't necessarily more conservative or more aggressive, but they do take time to research more so than the male clients that I work with. Hmm. So I do think that's part of it is just they are a little bit more methodical and a little bit more cautious. Once they're ready to invest, though, it's not that they're actually that much more conservative or that much more reserved or anything like that. It's just that there's a little bit more research that's done at the outset. And then I think the other thing that's sort of an elephant in the room is that women are making less to Mm -hmm. their counterpart, you know, their male counterparts. So say if you're making $100,000 as a woman and the guy sitting next to you is making 130, well, he's got a lot more ability to take risk Mm. because he's making more income. So I do think that's another piece of it that, you know, not a lot of people are talking about that, but that is a component, right? If you are making less, you have less flexibility in terms of how much risk you can take. So it's not just risk tolerance, but it's risk capacity, right? So I think that's another aspect that we have to bear in mind. So it's easy to say like, oh, it's kind of all women's fault for not investing, but they don't have the ability to take as much risk as their male counterparts might.
4: Hey there listeners, it's Eric with an A, and I'm interrupting the show for just a moment to tell you about our newest offering, the Tech Money Guide to Restricted Stock Units. This guide was developed to teach those who are paid in RSUs to develop a plan for how and when to convert those shares into actual dollars as well as how to incorporate them into your overall personal financial plan. You may have already heard episode 50 where Malcolm described the guide in detail, as well as his own philosophy and rules of thumb when it comes to managing this valuable form of equity compensation. If you haven't, no problem. We would still encourage you to head on over to tech-money.com and download a free copy of the guide today. There's also a link to it in the show notes of this episode. Again, that web address is tech-money.com. And you can download a free copy of the guide right there from the homepage. In keeping with the promise of this show, our hope is that the Tech Money Guide to Restricted Stock Units helps make you just a little smarter about your money. Now back to the show.
2: So something else that you and I have talked in the past about is the concept of clients who are either optimizers or people who want to save and invest for a bigger purpose, right? Do you find that either group tends to be more dominated by women or men?
3: That's a really good question. And I wish I had more data to back anything up that I have to say, but really just looking at the small sample size of my client base, mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is the type of client that I work with. So I'm very clear, I think, in my messaging and in the initial meetings I have with people that if you are here just to reduce your taxes by every possible penny and just you know, optimize every aspect of your finances, I'm probably not the best fit for you. And so the people that are attracted to me, 95 plus percent of those people are saying, I do care about my returns and I do care about taxes, but I also care about the impact I'm making on the planet. So it's hard for me to to say more broadly whether Mm -hmm. or not what the patterns are, I guess, in that demographic. But for my client base, for sure, everybody is generally very, very interested in doing the best that they can with their own money, but also factoring in how that is going to impact their community and the world.
2: Yeah. Again, I I sort of set you up there, but I will say from my own experience, it's almost always, and I say almost just in case I'm technically wrong somewhere, but it's basically only my male clients who are the optimizers who want Mm -hmm. to literally squeeze every drop of juice out of the, out of the lemon, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. at all possible. Whereas Mm -hmm. I I find that, uh, women as clients tend to be more focused on what can we use this money to do? And I mean, even in the same Mm -hmm. household where Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, maybe since we make more, it means we can give away more if, if giving to a cause is what's most important to us. Or maybe if we make more and save more, that means that we get to quote unquote retire a little bit earlier than society tells us we should be allowed to, or our parents mm-hmm. tell us we should be allowed to. Or maybe it means we get to take one more vacation each year than we normally would and not feel guilty about it. Or whatever it is, I find that usually when working with women clients, using the money to do something and to solve a problem is where the focus tends to to shift. And with men, it's usually like, I want to do better than the, than the person next to me kind of thing. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, we in general are usually more competitive when it comes to this. Like I am the person, if you were to get on the treadmill next to me, no matter where I was in my uh, workout that day, you and i are are running a race and i'm not getting Mm -hmm. off until you get off like that Mm -hmm. that i might have come in expecting to spend 10 minutes on the treadmill and go lift legs and i know i'm like making a complete diversion and making this about me but humor me for a second Mm
4: -hmm. like
2: i'm thinking about it as i ask that question and I'm, i'm saying who does what that's me right like whether it's on the treadmill at the gym or elsewhere like we just are wired that way that we want to be able to optimize and do better than the person to the left and to the right. Whereas I, I just find that women from a personality perspective, and again, I'm painting mm-hmm. with a broad brush, but it's usually like, I don't have time for that. Like I, I want to go do things, not mm-hmm. look at the numbers run up on the piece of paper that tells me I'm doing great.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I think there's a quote, something like comparison is the thief of joy. Have you heard mm-hmm. this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you, Malcolm, one of these days, we're going to be in the same city and we're going to get on a treadmill side by side. And I'm going to run for a really long time and see if you can keep up with me. (laughs)
2: Uh, I'm training for a marathon. So careful. Like we'll just be two really sweaty, tired people falling out on the, on the treadmill. Like I Uh uh, challenge accepted.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Uh,
2: But I find that like more of the tech community tends to be the optimizers that i'm i'm you know Mm -hmm. referring to when it when compared to folks in any other industry maybe save for like finance Uh, and i assume it's because their world tends to be geared more toward productivity at all costs like i mentioned right Mm -hmm. but do you think it's more of a function of who's attracted to that type of work to begin with or is it something else
3: I think it's really a function of how many engineers there are in the tech world. Mm -hmm. I really think engineers are hardwired to want to optimize. And so when I work with people in tech, I mean, many of the people I work with in tech do marketing or sales Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. operations. I mean, they're not necessarily in a technical role, but those engineers for sure are optimizers almost entirely. So I do think it's sort of a subset of tech. That's really the, um, you know, the the developers and the programmers. Those are the ones that are really into optimization. People in other parts of those organizations are not quite as focused on optimization.
2: Yeah, uh, I, you know, you and I have a similar approach in dealing with clients in the world of financial planning, right? It's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on. It's, it, you know, I can't necessarily speak to the things that women need to be focused on specifically when it comes mm-hmm. to this or some of the challenges that women face. Like you just educated me on the fact that one of the reasons for that that cash pile and less investment is because of the wealth gap, right? That's something right. I've just blindly overlooked because I'm a man and the wealth gap is not the first thing that, uh, not the wealth gap, the, the pay gap mm-hmm. is not the first thing that comes to my mind when I look at somebody's balance sheet, for example, but it may be something that inherently as a woman doing this work, you look at and go, Oh yeah, I know why. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that. It's just that. Uh, So I'm thinking about like another place that we're aligned is that the overall planning process where the investments are part of the process, but it's not the star of the show in the way that, you know, you run your, your, your practice. Mm -hmm. Do you find that women, or men tend to be more disproportionately focused on investment advice and asset management versus, you know, the overall financial plan. I may have kind of tipped my hand a little bit, but I'll still ask the question.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that, you know, there's also the, just the perception that that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people kind of come in and they're telling me how much their 401k balances and where all their stuff is. And I mean, I think it's really up to us to sort of educate clients that there's a lot more to what we do than the investment portfolio and the asset allocation. And that is definitely an important piece of it. But I think that's that's just on us to a certain extent in terms of letting the public know what else is part of the sort of financial planning package and and gender-wise, I mean, I do think men tend to be a little bit more interested in the investment piece of things. But again, I think that's really just about messaging. I think if we really communicated the breadth of what we do, then they wouldn't come in saying like, well, how did your portfolios do last quarter? You know, I don't think that that would be so top of mind if we were doing a better job of communicating what we do.
2: Yeah. And uh, again, I, I, I know that I'm sort of painting with a broad brush here and I'm taking license to do that because I teed up the episode as being about mm-hmm. women in tech mm-hmm. and their the uniqueness mm-hmm. of their financial planning needs. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so that's, you know, where I'm focusing the attention of my. Questioning, mm-hmm. so I take your point that the industry itself has a messaging problem, and that's a whole other conversation for a whole other podcast, mm-hmm. which probably is enough to make a whole podcast, not just an episode. <laughs> but I'm just thinking about like trying to make sure that I understand and contextualize what is different for a woman who works in tech from a financial perspective that bleeds mm-hmm. over into her financial plan. You know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point and a great question around truly what is the difference. And we already talked about just having a place where people feel comfortable, which is you would think pretty basic yeah. um, just in any kind of service industry that you want your clients to feel comfortable coming into your place of business, right? So that's that's definitely one factor. I think the other big thing is, you know, it's an industry that Like we talked about, much like finance is largely dominated by men. Women are in the minority. I think that's changing a little bit, but it's changing really slowly. And so I think it's just a world where, you know, whether it's the pay gap or other advancement opportunities aren't necessarily prioritized for women. And I think it's just really helpful to work with somebody that sort of understands those challenges. So I often will get a young woman in tech who comes as a prospective client and will have a meeting and almost without me saying very much at all, she'll just say, you get me, you <laughs> know, how exhausting this is. Yeah. And I think that's, that means a lot, right? Just being able to come in again, come into a relationship and know that, you know, they're kind of swimming upstream a lot of the time, or they're in meetings and they're having you know, their ideas are getting taken over by a man who suddenly runs with it and says, oh, I had this great idea. And it's like, wait a second <laughs> um, or whatever, you know, they're like, these are the the challenges that they're dealing with day in and day out, which can be exhausting and lead yeah. to burnout and all these things. So I think just having somebody that's aware of what those structures can feel like is just, it's really nice to feel like you have somebody in your corner.
2: So if I could, take credit for your work for a second, like the example you just gave. (laughs) Uh, If I'm understanding you correctly, it's more about starting out the conversation on second base and not having to Mm -hmm. start from scratch Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. to have a conversation.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. It's just, there's a baseline understanding without having to, to have that conversation directly.
2: So from your perspective, what is typically the trigger that makes a woman decide to reach out and engage with, you know, you or any other financial planner for help? Like what's happening in her life at Mm -hmm. that moment?
3: Mm -hmm. Well, one of the big things would be something like a liquidity event, like an IPO or a tender offer, just a little bit overwhelming to figure Mm -hmm. out how to manage it. So that's an obvious one. But the one that I hear more often actually is just The complexity has gotten to a point where I just can't handle it anymore. I just Mm -hmm. can't manage all the different pieces. I was talking to a client the other day who works at Meta, and she said, you know, the number of decisions that I have to make all the time it's exhausting and it's it comes in daily like your 401k is changing to a new provider and you have to make a choice about funds or we have this new benefit offering or whatever it might be and i think people get to a certain point where there's just so much complexity and they just don't have the time or the interest Mm -hmm. in making all of those decisions without some help and some guidance
0: yeah
2: i i i laughed internally as you were saying that because I was thinking about the fact that like when clients get those emails that say we're changing the 401k provider or we're adding Mm -hmm. so-and-so benefit Mm -hmm. like I get the email forwards that say this Mm -hmm. is for you (laughs) this is this is your problem now um Mm -hmm. so I know exactly what you mean
4: Mm -hmm.
2: um so as we get ready to wrap here what would be your main message to you know women working in tech and and elsewhere, really, who feel overwhelmed, like you're talking about trying to wrap their arms around their financial situation.
3: hmm I think number one is you're not alone. We're mm. all dealing with this stuff. The level of complexity might vary, but this is a very common type of experience. And the other one would be you don't have to go through this without guidance. So my personal, you know, we talked a little bit about Google and just sort of looking up information. My other big one that I always caution people about is the company Slack channel. And so people get kind of like sucked into these, you know, personal finance Slack channels. And it's like, well, that actually has nothing to do with you. And so I think really engaging with somebody that can provide that level of support and can help guide you through these decisions that are kind of coming at you can really just make this so much more manageable and Mm -hmm. more make you feel more supported. So I think finding, whether it's me or you or somebody like us that can really help guide a client through all of the different things. I mean, I'm seeing layoffs and job changes and job negotiations and house purchases. That stuff is just happening all the time. And really working with somebody that can help you navigate all those things, there's just a tremendous value in that.
2: I dig it. I I ask that because, you know, to me, like similar to tech, young girls and young women receive messaging that suggests that boys and young men are just inherently better at it. And by it, Mm -hmm. I mean Mm -hmm. finances. And -hmm. so by the time they get to an age where it's on them to figure it out, they've already convinced themselves that they can't or the messaging Mm -hmm. has convinced them that they can't.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
3: Malcolm, you are preaching to the choir with that one. And the same Facebook or Meta client that I was talking about the other day was sharing with me that she had done some financial tasks and she was feeling so proud of herself. And she said, <laughs> gosh, this gets easier as I do it. But she also said, I'm I'm really bad at this stuff. And I just said, okay, we got to stop right here. Yeah. I said, I would like to reframe that and say that you are getting more comfortable with it. You are not good or bad at it. It's just a question of familiarity. And comfort and coaching, and that's what I'm here for. So really helping people reframe that just like you said, the messages that we're all sort of indoctrinated in around math and finance that we're not good at it. If I could wave a magic wand, actually, that would be the one thing I would do is take that whole message away from from young girls that they're not good at a certain subject.
2: Yeah. It it I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Masters Master of scale and uh Mm -hmm. reed hoffman was interviewing someone who was like the one of the founders of cisco if she wasn't the founder of cisco Mm -hmm. and so you got to imagine how like Mm -hmm. strong her technical chops had to be back Mm in the 70s or 60s 70s to to found cisco and Mm -hmm. she was telling a story about the fact that like they had an apple computer in her household but it was in her brother's room And so she would have to go ask her brother's permission to use the computer. And so she ultimately didn't even like really use the computer much as a kid because she got tired of having to ask her brother for permission to use the computer that was supposed to be the family's computer. But the message that that gave her was he's just better at it. And it was not that he actually was better at it. It was just that he had more time to practice on it because it was right there at his fingertips all day, every day. And then Mm -hmm. she ends up being the one who's, you know, billionaire tech founder behind Mm -hmm. going, creating the shop. And that, that wasn't lost on me in that Mm -hmm. moment, Mm -hmm. hearing that conversation. And I think about it in the same context, because I've said this on this show and elsewhere before, but like that messaging actually cuts both ways with its damage. When we Mm -hmm. talk about finance, Mm -hmm. because we fall into the assumption that when we couple up or we get married, that the man is supposed to do money. And that is harmful to both genders because Mm -hmm. men aren't necessarily any better at it. It's just that the expectation is they should do it. So we kind of take the lead and the blind leads the blind in a lot of cases. But then I also find that when clients start working with us, like I can see where the husband takes a deep breath, like a sigh of relief. And it's like, thank God Mm -hmm. this is somebody else's problem now because mm-hmm. I was supposed to be the one who had the answers just based on my gender. Mm-hmm. And I don't, but I don't want to have mm-hmm. to say that I don't. And now this gives me the opportunity to be on the same mm-hmm. footing as my partner. Mm-hmm. And if it goes wrong, we have somebody we can fire. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like you can divorce your financial planner or your whoever a lot easier than you you can divorce your spouse. So mm-hmm. we can fire that person and get a new one a lot mm-hmm. easier and it makes everybody's life easier. So That's what I'm thinking about as we're talking through this and the fact that, like, it gets thrust on the messaging gets thrust on girls that like money and math just aren't your thing.
3: Yeah, you're totally right, though. We really do a huge disservice to both men and women with that messaging. And I one of my big try to convey to my clients is I actually want every individual, regardless of your gender, to be part of this process and to be engaged because I just don't think it's healthy for anybody in the relationship to have no idea and just say, oh yeah, my spouse takes care of that or my financial advisor takes care of that. So I think it's actually a huge benefit, again, to working with an advisor like you or me that's going to pull somebody into the process a little bit and say, well, I actually want everybody in the household to know a little bit about how this stuff works. Yeah. Well,
2: so my last question actually has nothing to do, I imagine, has nothing to do with financial planning or anything related to it so you can kind of relax your shoulders a little bit and mm-hmm. you know take your your zena hat off for a second but <laughs> let's say for a moment you never found your passion for financial planning so mm-hmm. you had to find a different way to occupy your days but money wasn't a factor in your decision making at all what do you think you'd be doing right now
3: Well, if I wasn't spending all day skiing, um, (laughs) I would imagine it would probably have something to do with teaching. And it's interesting because that is actually what I tried right out of the gate from, you know, from undergrad was I tried teaching high school math of all Mm -hmm. things. And there were parts of it that I loved and parts of it that I absolutely could not stand because as a 21 year old trying to manage a bunch of 17 year olds, you can imagine didn't go very well. But what I did love was just being able to communicate a concept to people that sort of see that light bulb moment go off where people are kind of getting, oh yeah, now that makes sense. I really did love that part. Mm-hmm. So and I'm and I'm starting to get back into the idea of teaching more in say financial planning realms. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but I do think teaching and mentoring is something that I'm increasingly drawn to. So I think it would probably have something to do with one of those.
2: Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate you uh, making time to do this, Danika, and, and, and coming on. This was great. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or Xena after this goes live?
3: Yeah, it's been a real pleasure, Malcolm. I think this was a great conversation. Um, if people want to find more about me or my firm, XenaFP is the website, XenaFP.com. And then I spend a fair bit of time on Twitter. I'm Danika W., I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram, but Twitter is definitely my preferred venue.
2: Awesome. Well, on that note, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir?
4: Absolutely. Danica, thank you so much for being here. You gave a tremendous amount of food for thought for the entire audience and myself, and I know Malcolm at the same time. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Malcolm, thank you for facilitating this and bringing another amazing guest to the forefront. And our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review, as this does help other people find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have. You can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money.
1: This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening.
0: um. you